What are some steps to be able to draw near to God? I think Paul shares that with us in the next passage that we will share today in Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25. And so I ask you to turn with me there to your Bible or your tablet or your smartphone. And we can answer the question, how do we draw near to God? How do we get close? We know the first is by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it's so important that we go back to the root of separation. See, there is someone or something that is trying to tear you apart or keep you distant from God. We know that's Satan's very desire is that we be separated from a holy God, that we're not close to him, that we're not able to be in his presence because he knows in his presence is life and truth. And so he tries to do everything he can to keep us from being up close and personal with God. But look what Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25 says. Would you read it with me? It says this, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more, the, much the more, as we see the day approaching. Saints of God, in this particular passage, I would tell you that there are three challenges in this area that Paul approaches when it comes to getting closer or near or walking with God. He tells us first to hold fast. He tells us second to consider one another. And then he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. With these instructions, there are some supporting reminders in these endeavors. There's a manner in which we do this, to hold fast, to consider one another. And to forsake not the assembling of ourselves. First and foremost, we must not lose hope. There's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some trials. And he also reminds us we must provoke or stir up one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another. And we must exhort and lift up each other. So let's take a moment to dig into this particular passage here. Let's exegesis some of these phrases and words here. In that very first verse of Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. See, when we look at that term, hold fast to our faith, I believe the Lord is reminding us through Paul don't let the situations of life, the trials, the hardships, weaken your trust in God. 
See, the scriptures reminds us that the fight is not all of these situations, not all of these trials, not all of these tribulations, not death or sorrow and all these things that can happen. But the fight is the fight of faith. He tells us to fight the good fight of faith. See, that's really what Satan's trying to get at with all of this stuff that happens is to cause us to doubt God, cause us not to trust him, not to depend upon him. Not to hold on to him knowing that he's able when we're unable. His desire is to weaken our trust in God. Because this is the very means by which we draw near to God. We embrace our hope in him through the trials, through the tribulations. See, I remember what Andre Crouch said. He said, if I never had a test of trial, I wouldn't know that God could solve them. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his name, to trust him. He has always and will always be faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can depend upon him. So as we define that word hold fast, the key for us is the meaning of the word, which is translated to guard and protect. See, he's telling us to guard and protect your faith, your trust in God. Guard it. Hold on to it. Hold fast. See, it's a term, it's, it's, it's also a military term to hold fast your perimeter. Don't give ground. The enemy is trying to get you to back up and turn around and retreat and run, but hold fast. Trust in his unchanging hand. Know that he's there in every situation. See, the enemy wants to invade your belief and shatter your trust so that you would go running into some other hope, some other faith, and not hold on to him, but that we would give heed to our faith, that we would fix our attention upon him. And to know where we are in our faith. So let me ask a question. What happens when we lose faith? What happens when we just don't trust God? See, first, I think we try to do it all for ourselves. We try to be the captain of our soul, the master of our faith. The Invictus said that. He lied. He was wrong. <laughs> we are not the captain of our faith. We're not the master of our soul. And before you know it, a little time goes along and we realize that we're not in control. We're not able. See, Hebrews 11, Paul wanted to share a little bit more in depth about this idea of faith. 
So in Hebrews 11, 6, he said this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can't do it. See, God show, doesn't show us everything for that very fact. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to hold on to his hand and not try to run in front of him. You ever had any kids that they constantly try to run in front of you and you're trying to pull them back? God said, don't get ahead of me. Walk with me. Trust me. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. What's that he is? That he's everything. That he's all, all in all. That he's all powerful, all knowing. He's everywhere. He's the beginning and the end. And when we walk with him, when we draw near to him, we are eternal in him in every aspect, in every way. And hope abounds. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, faith is seeking God. Trusting in him and not ourselves. Have you ever been in a situation you knew you could not work yourself out of it? And you trusted in God. And something crazy happened. He actually showed up and did something. And you went like, okay. And you tried it again and again and again. And you saw that God was faithful. See, he wants us to see him. Our faith gets us closer to him. It's a walk with him. It's a trusting in him. Through all the hurt, through all the pain, he says, I'm greater than that. Through all the loss. See, I believe God has a divine plan. He says, if you trust me, I'm going to show it all to you. In due time, if you hold on in due time, and there's a day you're going to look back on it all, and you're going to say these light afflictions were not worthy to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that's been revealed in us. See, I think we're going to have a big old shout going on, a dance. Some of y'all going to be undignified. <laughs> Y'all sitting all proper now. <laughs> when it get to that day, when you had all that faith walk, you ain't going to be able to contain yourself. So he's reminding us that we draw near through our faith. Thus with our faith, we are to explore him. We are to explain him to others. We are to embrace him. We are to protect it, protect our faith, our relationship. We are to offer it to others by making it known. See, it's an exercise. And Paul said, I'll show, excuse me, James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. He didn't just let it sit dormant. He was exercising it. Paul is also reminding us to focus upon it, 
with dedication and devotion that we would trust God. And as there is going to be many, many, many opportunities for us to look in the mirror and see, are we trusting him? Are we holding fast? Are we keeping the perimeter guarding? But I believe Paul also wanted us to see this next point as he wrote in the scriptures in Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another. That we would consider one another. To provoke unto love and to good works. Literally, this is God's call on us to consider one another. That is to look at one another. Another. I know it seems awkward sometimes when you're looking at, staring at somebody in the face, right? But it means to look deeply, to see beyond, to think about one another, to focus on one another, to study one another, to let your mind be occupied with one another. To not be self-focused, but others-focused. And the goal of this focus on others is to think of ways of stimulating, provoking them to love and good works. So that's a hard task. That's a challenging one. But look at it from God's perspective. See, he's saying, consider those that I've made in my image and my likeness. As you look upon them, as you take time to learn them, you see me. Because I made them. And they're fearfully and wonderfully made. As we allow ourselves to get up close and personal with others, We get close and personal with God. You can't help it. I know some of you say, but pastor, you don't know the folks that are around me. God knows them. And they're the apple of his eye. With all the cracks and the flaws and the imperfections. God just takes some time. He's asking us to take some time and observe and consider. Then maybe we would see a little deeper, that we would understand a little more, that we would love a little longer, that we would have compassion one for another. Now, let me say it this way. So for some of us, The reason we struggle in our relationship with God is because we struggle in relationship with others. I know I might dropped it. (laughs) Made in his image, his likeness. The beloved of God. And so he speaks to our heart about it. You can't love God without loving others. It's impossible. 
Look what 1 John 4, 20, 21 says. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So God gives us an opportunity, he's saying, love them. I know they got some stuff. I know they got some baggage. We all got some baggage. But as you love, as you consider, as you look deeply, you're going to see me. You're going to have compassion, the same compassion that I have. Goes on to say, and this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. See, it's clear in Scripture, and even in this context that God means for us to be specific in what our consciousness is thinking about. Every day. See, there's none more significant to God than his very own. That he loves. He doesn't want us to just live life aimlessly. God's revealed will for you and for I is that we get up in the morning we don't drift aimlessly through day, letting circumstances alone dictate what we do. But we're intentional. That we have an aim and a plan and to be purposeful about considering what God considers. What's on his mind. That God loves his creation. He loves people, and he so wants to meet us at the very point of our need so that you, circ- you focus on a certain kind of purpose to have compassion and make a difference. So Paul writes to us. He says, let us permit, don't resist, to consider one another. Look closely and intently at one another. Examine and learn one another. Not to gossip about things that are going on, but to see the root of God's will and desire for others. And then when we see that root desire and will for others that we provoke, that we stir that we encourage others to let God stir up, stir them to love and good works. And so we're doing it. It's replicating and it's replicating. And the body is fitly joined together. And it's doing amazing goodness and work for the Lord. See, God's hand will be on you when you do it. 
as you're considering others, he'll be right there to show you. You can be confident. You can feel him. You don't have to be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication, make your request known. God, I desire to be used of you. I desire to see what you see. I desire for my heart to be pricked on what your heart is pricked. And you feel his presence. You've drawn closer to him because you drew closer to others. Now, now I got to give you a word of caution. It's important that you hear this. When you do this and this starts happening, it may develop a small group of radical, crazy, mushy, love-centered people that God uses to show himself strong and mighty in this world. It's going to be radical. People are going to look and say, what is going on with them folks over there? They done lost their mind. Amen. That's right. <laughs> I remember when my mom saw it for the first time, she was like, son, you in on a coat? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> the love of Christ constraineth us, compels us to love others. And this third point. See, we see here, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast to our profession of faith. Let us consider one another. Then verse 25 of Hebrews 10 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Not forsaking the assembling as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. See, in this passage, the Greek word here used for assembly is espinology, which means an official meeting that we're coming together. See, this past Wednesday, I spoke about what ecclesia means. It means uh, the assembly, but so often we will say the called out assembly. It really doesn't mean the called out. It's really when you call the people together, as you call us in, we assemble together. We become the ecclesia. We become, become the assembly of the government of God. And so this could include Many things, worshiping, praying, reading, teaching, hearing, studying the word. Because the church, see that term in the English term means the belonged of the Lord. The belonged of the Lord come together, assemble together. And this is not just any old assembly, but it's coming for a divine purpose. There is reasons behind this. There's, there, there, there's power that goes from this 
assembly of the government of God. So why do we assemble? Yes, it's for the purpose of provoking and exhorting one another. We assemble to be called into the body of Christ together to worship the Lord, to be assembled in his presence, to conduct the affairs of the royal kingdom of God. We assemble to worship our holy and righteous Father God. It's like a sweet-smelling aroma that goes up into his nostrils. That, yes, we can do it at home, we can do it individually, but when the assembly comes together, there's something that happens. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. See, but for so many in our world today, we have this idea of church being outdated, boring, and not needed. And we miss the very presence of God. We're not careful. See, look what Hebrews 12, verse 22 through 24 says. See, Paul took a couple of chapters, and he he spoke on this point. He says this, but ye are come unto Mount Zion. So you're just giving a little reflection about heaven on earth. And unto the city of the living God. This is not intended to be a natural undertaking. The heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. See, Christ is the high priest. He's in this general assembly. Which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. See, many times when they would come and symbol in in Israel, they would come and symbol for legislation, for decisions, for legal disputes. So we see this wrapped up in the government of God. See, there are things, the kingdom changes when we come together and assemble. Do you know that? There is warfare. There are actions that are being changed because we come together and we worship God and we edify one another and we exalt the Savior. And to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See, there's a discussion of the affairs of God. Our coming together moves God. Our coming to God inhabits, he inhabits our praises. So on the church being boring and outdated, Sam Storms in one of his articles said this about enjoying God. He first began by saying how utterly insane that thought is. 
boring and outdated. I can't think of anything more active and engaging and participatory and practical than listening to God's word, God's word being explained and applied. For one thing, listening to God's word is worship. When you hear a truth from Scripture about God's love and marvel and perhaps even weep that you are a recipient of God's saving affection, that's worship. When you listen attentively to truth of divine grace and mercy and your redemption and the forgiveness of sins, and you are left breathless, that so great a blessing is yours. Even though you deserve hell, that is worship. When you feel conviction for your sin, and are called to repentance for having hardened your heart against God as Scripture pierces through your resistance and shines a light into the darkness of an indifferent soul. That is worship. And something happens when we worship, when we trust him, when we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. But even more so as we see the day approaching, the government of God, the people of God would come together and say, God, we hear you. God, we see you. God, we glorify your holy name. Now do it. Do it. And do it again. So don't take this time lightly. Don't forsake it. Hold fast. See, our worship of him draws us closer to him. Draw near to him and you're holding fast in your trust of him. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, hold fast. Stand God. Fight the good fight of faith. Draw near to him in considering and observing and having compassion for others. Just as God had compassion for you. He loved us so much he thought it not robbery to be equal with man. Jesus came and he made of himself no reputation. He suffered for all. He died on that cross. And the scripture says, for the joy that was set before him, you and I, he endured that cross. And so let us consider and have compassion for others. To truly see others the way God sees them, you will draw near to him. You can't help but as you get closer and you look and you examine God's right there he's saying you see that and then draw near to God in his general assembly of the household of faith 
bring all of that that God has blessed you and given you and shown you. Bring it, bring it, bring it as we come together. Did you feel it this morning in worship? Did you sense it? I can feel God coming off of others. And I don't know about you, but when other people are stirred and loving and worshiping the Lord, it does, it has an effect on me. And before you know it, this fitly joined together, there's mighty. One can put a thousand to flight, but two, ten thousand. So don't forsake the tremendous blessing and gift God has for you and I. The body of believers is a gift. And it's so important that we assemble. So let's hold fast, saints of God. Hold fast to your faith. God, it protected. Hold fast to your friendship. Consider others. No greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for his friend. And hold fast to your fellowship. Fellowship and worship the Lord. Come together with thanksgiving. Ready to give him praise. To fellowship with God and fellowship with others. And watch how you're growing near to God. We'll continue. Draw near to him. Hold fast. No matter what the enemy tries to do, God is more able. Hold fast. Hold fast, hold fast.